Good evening and welcome. My name is Gillian McIntyre and I coordinate the adult programs here at the AGO, this very exciting construction site that we're working in. Um, before I introduce tonight's event, I would like to thank our sponsor. Education programs are sponsored by the Catherine the Great Society here at the AGO. Tonight will be a conversation between Bruce Ferguson and Peter Doig. I'm not going to do a big introduction for Peter Doig because I think his introduction will, will unroll during the conversation. But I will talk about the show, which was open here on, on Wednesday. It's Peter Doig Works on Paper, and if any of you haven't seen it, it's the most delightful breath of fresh air. Uh, it was organized by Katie Robbins for the Gallery of, at Windsor Vero Beach. It was previously shown at the Dallas Museum of Art from September to November 2005 and at Vero Beach from December 2005 until the beginning of this month. It was installed here this week and will be here until June 18th. I would like to introduce Bruce Ferguson, who's been here at the gallery for I think six months now. And I'm going to give you half his bio because it would take quite a long time otherwise. Bruce Ferguson is the Director of Exhibitions at the AGO. He's also the Dean of Columbia University School of Arts. Previously, he served as the President and Executive Director of the New York Academy of Art and is the Founding Director and first biennial curator of Sites Santa Fe in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Bruce Ferguson received his BA in Art History from the University of Saskatchewan and his MA in Communications from McGill University in Montreal. He's on the board of the Drawing Center and serves on the Rocking, sorry, Rockefeller Center Advisory Committee. In 1993, with Risa Greenberg and Sandy Nairn, he received a Getty Senior Research Fellowship grant, which resulted in the publication of Thinking About Exhibitions, Routledge 1996, a seminal anthology of essays on theories of exhibition. His curatorial work includes the Biennales of Sao Paulo, Sydney, Venice, and Istanbul, and organized exhibitions for many major international museums, including Louisiana Museum in Copenhagen, the Barbican Art Gallery in London, and the Institute of Contemporary Art in Boston. I would like to invite them to come now and have a conversation. Just a second. I'm Bruce. This is Peter. <clears throat> um, I thought rather than giving you Peter's biography and, um, and chronology and that sort of thing, that hopefully some of it will come out through the questions and, and the answers. But I thought I'd start by talking about, about education because Peter both had an education and uh, is, is, now a, is now a professor at the um, very well-known and, and uh, deservedly well-known uh, Dusseldorf Academy in Dusseldorf, um, in Germany. So I thought I'd just start by asking Peter some basic questions about how he became an artist. Uh, he was both at, uh, well, he was at Wimbledon, he was at Chelsea School of Art, and he was at St. Martin's, if I'm not mistaken, each of which is known for kind of a, a niche uh, way of teaching art, uh, not, none of which, with the exception of St. Martin's, I guess, in a certain period of time is, is overly uh, well famous, I guess, uh, for teaching or for producing great students until fairly recently. So I thought I'd just ask Peter to talk about how he started to learn, what, what that process was, if you wouldn't mind with, starting with that, Peter. And this, as we say, will be informal. You can ask questions afterwards. And also, if you want to write questions and have me ask them of Peter later, we'll be happy to do that as well. So Peter's an educational place, a good place to start? Yes, OK. Um, well, I mean, I started off. Uh, um, I suppose uh, becoming interested in the idea of being an artist here in Toronto when I was, um, was a high school student at uh, Jarvis Collegiate. Um, I didn't, I never finished my studies there. I think I had about uh, maybe two-thirds of grade 11. Um, and I'd started getting were, interested. Were you kicked out or you left No, I didn't get kicked out. I just, there was a teacher strike and I never went back. <laughs> <laughs> the old uh, excuse. Yeah. yeah. And then I kind of drifted for a few years, and then I went back to high school to study at a place called Seed School, which, funnily enough, used to be just up around the corner from here on McCall Street. And it's a school that I kind of wish I'd um, studied at for all my high school education, because it was a kind of free high school. It was part of the 
the kind of Toronto Educational Board. And um, it kind of operated in the way that if you had, I think, six students, you could form a class. So you could form an English class if you had six students who, had, who were like-minded. Mm -hmm. And we had a very good art teacher there, uh, whose name was Rose. I can't remember her last name just now. And basically we had an, an, art, an art room that was open all day, um, five days a week, which was quite unusual of, uh, you know, if you compare that to other high schools. And so in that time, you kind of formed, <laughs> maybe I sort of started to sort of form the idea of maybe wanting to go to art school. Mm -hmm. Did you come to the gallery and look at works? Did you know artists and know that it was a potential career or was it... Came to the gallery and then... Was it more vague? I also that? went to some of the small, I was going to some of the small galleries in, mm -hmm. in Toronto as well. I mean, there was the, I remember the Carmen Lamana Gallery. I remember, I remember meeting some artists through um, parents, friends and things like that. Um, I didn't really know what type of artist I wanted it to be really. Mm -hmm. um, I remember we, we were all told to choose an artist and uh, research them and give a seminar on it and I, um, I chose Marcel Duchamp. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it wasn't because I was really interested in him, it was just something I sort of discovered in, in a book. Um, but it was a, very, it was a very interesting thing to do I think as, as a kind of you know, 17 year old really, she'd be allowed to do that. It was a very good, potentially a very good education. Mm -hmm. really. And I wanted to go to the UK. I wanted to go back to the UK. I was I was um, born in Scotland, but I'd um, spent um, most of my, my life here. Um, I was very interested in um, the music that was coming out of the UK at that point in time. It was it was um, 1976, 1977, sort of first wave of punk, and then the new wave. And um, were you a musician? I mean, no, I wasn't a musician, but I think there was there was just a lot of interest. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of good, uh, I mean, I, I was reminiscing the other day here with some people, but Toronto was actually a very good city to be in at that point in time because um, you could see all sorts of, of bands in, in very small venues. Right. And um, I don't know, I just want to, and, and then there was also that connection between um, the musicians who I liked. Often you discovered a lot of them had gone to art school. So art school seemed to be an exciting place mm -hmm. to want to go to. And um, I don't know, so I started building up a portfolio. Uh, I went to the UK. A portfolio uh, of, of drawings, drawings and okay. paintings on mm -hmm. paper and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Not what, like. What were they like, just quickly? I mean, were they um, traditional? Did they have any. I suppose they were kind of. Uh, kind of pop expressionism, maybe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you were, I don't know. They were, they were kind of all over the place, really. Um, a bit sort of record covery in a way, like based on record covers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just I mean, a, lot of, a lot of rotaring pen drawings. <laughs> Um, and um, so I you, think you weren't getting any training of any sort. You were, you not were really, just, no. You were just not really training. I mean, I did try and make some oil paintings. I made a, uh, an oil painting at uh, seed of a man smoking a chillum. I remember. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but that's it. Was just sort of pr it was the beginnings, really. And I think when I decided to, to apply to art school, I thought I should maybe study something that um, uh, maybe had a vocation at the end. Mm -hmm. um, so I. I was thinking maybe on a whim, maybe theatre design really, and so I, that's why I applied to <coughs> Wimbledon. And Wimbledon had yeah. a theatre design program. Wimbledon had a very good theatre design, design yeah. yeah. I applied to Central, but I wasn't accepted there, and I got into my second choice to Wimbledon. Mm -hmm. But I soon discovered when I was there that I was much more interested in, in painting and kind of the lives of artists really, and I got sort of um, submerged in that. I mean, I was very fortunate. Um, not so much having great teachers um, in the painting department, but in the in the um, and you often find this I think in art schools. I met a technician mm -hmm. in the etching department, and um, he he was very interested in the subject of, of what I was doing. Um, he was very interested in music as well, really, and um, he kind of I, I learned a lot from him actually. He took he pointed me in the direction of um, uh, t you know artists to look at, maybe mm -hmm. who, maybe not the obvious ones at that time. Um, he was, he was very, this was before they had had a big exhibition at the Hayward Gallery of the, um, the German artists. Uh, oh, the new, the new, new Spirit in painting? Not the New Spirit. Before that it was the new, I, I can't pronounce it, but the New Realism. Neue oh, um, Realism. Yeah, <laughs> with Christian Schad and artists like that. Right. And the after... Thir 30s sort of... No, pre-First um, pre World War. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, so I went to Berlin after that course to go and see some of these paintings. Um, and at the same time, um, one of my closest friends from Toronto um, had moved to New York, and he was pursuing studies there. 
And uh, in those days, the cheapest way to get in between sort of Europe and North America was uh, um, sort of these 79-pound standby flights between right. um, Heathrow and JFK. And so I'd always spend time in New York either coming back and forth to Canada because I'd come back sometimes to work in the summers here. And so I was seeing a lot of, of, of the art that was kind of emerging in, in New York. So the when, time. when you say that you know you weren't actually being taught, I mean you know, or that the teaching was in a sense more. You know, well, the interesting thing about the self, seed, the, the interesting thing about the seed school actually is, is is that the the person who ran the course was a was a, a real artist rather mm -hmm. than um, maybe a, gra a a graphic artist or an illustrator or something like mm -hmm. that, and I think she allowed us to. You know, she was she was interested in painting, um, you know, rather than. Artists. I mean, I think a lot of art art classes at at high school and places like that are run by designers rather than by artists. So I think that was quite unique. Well, in my experience, anyway. And then from Wimbledon, you went to Chelsea, and then Saint Martin's, Saint Martin's, and then yeah. to Chelsea. Um, and what was the difference? I mean, were you starting to gain? Well, Wimbledon was just a foundation course, so that's where that's just the very beginnings, where you're just trying out different things. Mm -hmm. Saint Martin's was uh, art school proper, what they call a BFA here, and. Um, that was 80 to 83. It was a very exciting time to be in, in London. Um, there was a lot, a lot going on. Um, not so much art-wise. Um, I think art, the interesting art seemed to be made <coughs> elsewhere, uh, which in a way made it, it, it uh, maybe a good time to be a student in a way. Mm -hmm. um, there wasn't the focus on, 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 on London that the, in the way that there has been more recently, really. Right. It, allowed, it allowed one to develop without the kind of that hothouse effect that you get of, you know, sort of um, the outside world breathing down your neck, really. And it was, it was kind of understood that you, um, you studied and then you worked and you may get an exhibition when you're 30. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, and was it, I mean, were you aware of what was starting to happen at Goldsmiths at that time or was no, that this just... No, this is long before that. It was long before yeah. and that was, and there wasn't another... There wasn't another school like that. There wasn't a sense in London. No, I mean, Goldsmiths existed, and Goldsmiths was very much under, um, it was a very much more conceptual-based mm -hmm. school. Um, it seemed very dry to us. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Goldsmiths actually always, has always been, it's, it was probably a more interesting school then than it was when it became famous, funny enough. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So I guess the question I'd like to ask about education, though, the way you are talking about it is that as, as though you weren't being taught anything, as though you were just in an environment or a condition, and well, the I mean, condition I say was allowing I, um, you to yeah. emerge, so that in a way, because yeah. what strikes me about your work is that you found a certain kind of voice or, or tone of, of a way of producing images and uh, pictures that, you know, that wasn't in fashion, wasn't, you know, you, you found your own voice, as it were, and it, I'm wondering if that was because because you weren't being taught or because you, you were resisting certain kinds of, of um, pedagogical forces or just how you came to yeah. find that voice. I think for, for students particularly, well, it's a I think it's quite interesting because I, I, complicated I, process, basically. I certainly didn't want to go to art school here, no offense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, I found that, I thought, it was, um, I thought it was very much a kind of teaching-based system mm -hmm. here, class-based system, and in the U.S. as well. Not, when I say here, I mean North America. Because uh, North America, it was all, you did a painting class, you did a drawing class. When you were on a BFA, you were kind of like, seemed to be mollycoddled through, through those first three years. Whereas the system in the UK was basically, once they accepted you, they said, oh, there's your studio. You go and work. You're an, art, you're an artist now, basically. And then people would come and visit you. And I thought that that system was, um, was a system that would suit me the best. And, um, and it was that, it was... Uh, I mean, it wasn't, I don't mean that you were left completely on your own, because you you, there was a lot of visitors, mm -hmm. a lot of visitors of all types, from, from the kind of, you know, the old teacher who had been there for 30 years, um, to, the, to the kind of the exhibiting artist who was coming in, um, visiting maybe from abroad. I mean, we had like the likes of Jack Goldstein coming <coughs> in, I remember. Uh, we had some int very interesting visitors. And then we had a very strong, um, what they call complementary studies department, which was... Uh, where you could either do art history or contemporary art history. And we had uh, a fellow called John Stezica, who um, has been recent reinterest in his work, who uh, was very influential. And his then partner was this woman called Rosetta Brooks. And they ran ZG magazine out of, mm -hmm. out of St. Martin's, essentially. Right. So there was, that, there was that side of things going on as well. But no, no. one was really, no, and, but no one was kind of, I didn't really feel like anyone was trying to form you in any way. So you didn't have a mentor, you weren't going through one of those systems 
like the system you teach in now is basically one of the the Meister artists with the with the acolytes, right? And they 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 well, choose, the old, they, choose the old, they choose to to work with you now. Yeah. That's that's the the system you're in now. So. No, they don't choose to work with me. They don't choose. I have to choose them. Oh, oh, tell <laughs> tell us how that works. Well, that's the old atelier system, and it's. Um, I mean, yes, in the old days, it would be working under the tutelage and, the, and within the style of maybe the, the master artist. Mm -hmm. um, and I suppose if you really wanted to, 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 to work, work that way, you could. But um, essentially, it's a class that the, the academy has um, maybe 20 professors, and they all have their different classes. And the students have to um, ask to be in a class, and um, then the professor chooses them. And um, it's up to the professor how, how they teach the class. Um, I mean, it just so happens that I had, you know, 80-odd students that wanted to be in my class, um, all of which were painters. I mean, I, I, in some ways, I, I'd like to, I'm trying to encourage non-painters to join my class, but, mm -hmm. or I'm trying to in, encourage some of the painters in my class maybe to try and do other things, but that's what I had to start with. And then I chose 15 out of, out of, out of those, those students. Mm -hmm. But you're very much, um, you, you're very much left to your own devices as to how you how you run your class. Um, I mean, some of the classes, yes, you see, you can see the, the the work within the style of of the professor in mm -hmm. some ways. But um, I actually think it's a really good system. I think it's uh, I think it's quite similar to the system I was describing of right. when, when I went to college okay. in the UK. Either that, or you've molded yeah. it or morphed it into. And that. the other thing I like about it is you have um, students from um, who've just arrived, who maybe. Um, 19 or 20, and ones who've been there for, uh, you know, seven or eight years and mm -hmm. had time off in between. So you have, you know, you've got a 19-year-old and a 35-year-old sharing the same space. And each year they exhibit. It's not just, you're not working towards one final exhibition. Each year you exhibit, and you exhibit together. I think that's very healthy, really. And you sometimes find that, you know, so you get surprising, su you get a lot of surprises, really, within that system. Um, are the students that you teach now or that are in your class, are they more aware of more recent art history, of theory, of some of the things that have happened more recently than when you were a student? I mean, how, how conscious were you of the art world when you were a student and how conscious were you of yeah. your ambitions towards it? Because it seems today that students the are art world, I think the extremely world, aware of, yeah. of the world and all of its nuances. I think the art world seemed very to a student, to a student um, at St. Martin's in the early 80s, I think the art world seemed very boring, really, mm -hmm. com as compared to the, the world of clubs, nightclubs, and uh, all those sorts of things that were happening in, in, in London at that time. And when I, say when I say clubs, I mean, there was a lot of activity happening. There was a lot of, there was a lot of music. There were a lot of artists going to these, mm -hmm. these clubs. But the artists that seemed to be exhibiting in the galleries were, seemed to be of a different generation, really. I mean, and, and making work with different concerns, really. Whereas I think now, students are seeing work by maybe people of a different generation, but they're seeing work that they can really relate to in the galleries. Mm -hmm. And so they see there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's much more of a connection in a way. And, they also, and there's also, it's such a kind of, <coughs> from a market point of view too, there's such a sort of hunger. I mean, you, have to, you almost feel like you have to protect students these days mm -hmm. from, um, from the outside world. Uh, which I think was not the case before. Never the case. No, no never. And it's, uh, it's, it's actually a very difficult time in a way to be a young artist, cause, uh, uh, because I think that there's, I mean, I'm, this is difficult saying this here, because I know in Toronto it's very different to, to being in, 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 say, Dusseldorf or, or in, in London, but I think that there's a kind of active, or New York, but there's an active, <laughs> there's, a, there's a need to have artists to fill all these spaces. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you, because there's a question that comes up all the time about, about being Canadian, and I know that you have a you know, somewhat of a Canadian background. You're, you've also, you know, you're fairly peripatetic. You now live in, in Trinidad and you have a place in London as well. Is that? Is that well, I live in Trinidad. You yeah. live in Trinidad, okay. And, uh, you know, I, I read a lot of the things that people write about you and they write things like, you know, um, that whatever, th this kind of haze that occurs over some of, some of your images, you know, harkens back to your snowy Canadian, uh, you know, heritage or something like that. There's a way in which um, you're, you're seen to be influenced by both the actual culture of Canada, I suppose, and the environment of Canada, and, and certainly the art of Canada, and you've made reference yourself to Carmichael's paintings and some other things, so I wanted to just hear what you thought about 
what that means, uh, you know, the degree to which you're Canadian or the degree to which the work is Canadian or, you know, what it means to be an expat and thinking about those kinds of things. Just take yeah. that on for a minute so we can actually sort of, in a way, get, get through it and get past it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't, think you, I don't think you can kind of choose who you are. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, when I was at St. Martin's, I mean, people would always refer to me as being the Canadian. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I knew, I, you know, deep down I, was, I wasn't, but I, but... Um, Did you become more that, Canadian when you were there than when you were here? Is that one um, of those phenomena? Did I sort of, did I play up on it? Yeah. Um, no, I don't think so, no. But um, I think you are, you are what you are, you are what you are, really. And um, I was here for, for, you know, for the formative years of my life. And um, obviously I had a, a, a kind of, a, a big effect, a big effect on on, on who, who I who I became in a way. Um, so how I'm not really. I don't. I, it's just, it's all. It's very difficult to think about sort of nationalistic things for right. me because I've been in, in in so many different places and called you know different things in different places. <laughs> um, well, then how do how do you think in terms of the culture, the but I think in England, I mean, I think, the well, I think in, for instance, in England, I think that they have they may have problems of thinking about being a British artist mm -hmm. because of the subject of a lot of my paintings, really. Um, I don't know. I mean, my work is quite... I, mean, I think it's quite... Um, I mean, that whole... The, you know, beginning, um, be beginning about 1990, when I moved back... I actually moved back to London. I came back to live in, in Canada for a few years in the 80s. This is when all the work that's in this exhibition kind of began, really. Right. And there was a kind of... It wasn't something planned, it just happened really. I kind of this outpouring of stuff that came out of, of me and this kind of, this referencing of, 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 of um, it wasn't so specific to, to my own past, but, you know, it became very interesting to think about my own past really and my own past in relation to other, maybe to other artists. You know, they make a connection with David Milne. Um, I mean, there's no real connection other than the fact that, uh, at that, um, that, you know, there's, there's there's a kind of interpretation of similar of subject. How you, how do you do how do you interpret that subject mm -hmm. in a way? How do you make that subject your own in a way? And I think he he did that, and um, I did it in different ways maybe. Um, but the fact that it's landscape based to some extent, or the figure yeah. in the landscape. I never really thought of myself as a landscape painter. I mean, people always say what you know. People who if you meet someone on a bus or something, and they ask you what what you do, and you say you're an artist, say what, what and you say you paint, they say well, what do you paint? And I always say I paint landscapes, <laughs> but I don't really think of myself as being a landscape painter. Right. So what's but the real answer then? I think I don't know. It's a kind of space that's sort of a, a kind of a mental headspace mm -hmm. <laughs> that sometimes involves elements of landscape. <laughs> Do you want to talk about that then? Maybe maybe the Canadian question is we could defer that or maybe defer it forever. But the but you take your images from a lot of sources. You're sort of like a scavenger. You find postcards. You find Photographs. You do some drawings. You you look at works of art and re rethink them. Re I think that I think that a lot of the Canadian paintings, if you want to call them Canadian paintings, um, we're trying in a way to depict, um, maybe trying to depict a type of place that you find here here mm -hmm. in a way, um, like a kind of um, a northern space, really. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, yes, they were specific to places that I know, but I don't. I've always thought that they they they. For my work, anyway, they shouldn't be so specific that they kind of disinclude someone who hasn't been to one of these places in a way. And right. I think that, um, I mean, I remember um, a Japanese student uh, when I was studying at Chelsea was looking at one of my paintings, and she was saying that she felt like she'd been to this particular place that I was painting. Obviously, she ne never had, but she kind of understood that kind of space in a way. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a that was a kind of um, that in a way thought, made me think, well, this is actually a kind of achievement in a way, as far as making a picture, because um, it's created a space that someone feels that they can actually enter. And I think it's, um, it's important to think of the viewer in that way. And how do, how do you get that space? I mean, it, it seems like your, your painting technique is obviously very central to finding that space, so it's not depicted almost too much in a way. You find this kind of area of representation where uh, where there's a certain vagueness or a certain mystery or, and often I think also a certain foreboding but, but do you want to talk about the technical way that you get there because it seems to me that you and these aren't the paintings that are in the show by the way we'll talk about the drawings and the, yeah. the works in the show in a minute but the larger works that you're uh, known um, for 
I think they kind of evolve. I mean, I really don't, I don't really have a, um, a method, really. I mean, I have, I have a method as such that I, you know, I start off with a, a drawing or a sketch mm -hmm. on the canvas, and then mm -hmm. it kind of evolves. But um, it, it does usually evolve time. I mean, not, that, not, not necessarily, um, you know, physical time making the painting, but time looking at the painting, mm -hmm. or time allowing, you know, doing something and then leaving it and just waiting. <laughs> And maybe not, uh, and seeing how that, see, seeing how you can um, react to that, and that's it may it may it may, it may, it may involve um, applying the material, mm -hmm. it may involve scraping the material off. I don't know. It's uh, it may add, it may involve adding a figure, but but that I I think it's it's difficult to make a painting um, quickly really, for me, even though the paintings may look like they may in in in, in eventuality only have taken a day to make mm -hmm. a day, an hour over a year or maybe. Ten days over a year, but it's important to have this period of time. And are you working on a number of paintings, a number of works lot, simultaneously? Yeah, quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. And, so and I go through phases where I get, you know, I go through phases where I get, I get a kind of mental block, and I actually can't really make that much, really. And then I go through other times where I can actually make quite a lot or start quite a lot. And then I'll always get, I get to the point where I get stuck mm -hmm. again. And um, one, one of the constant, you know, aspects of your iconography, I guess, is, is that figure in the landscape and it's it varies but it, it you know it obviously relates to <coughs> a whole art history of us of a of a you know basically romanticism of the lone figure in the landscape who is vulnerable somehow in the face of a larger elements and that sort of thing but in your paintings it doesn't seem it seems that as though it suggests that but it also seems to simultaneously suggest a distance from that that you're not really uh, committed to this idea that that figure in that landscape might be overwhelmed by the landscape or might be overcome by the landscape. It, it could just be a painting and, and, and it kind of moves between its imagery, I think, and then something that's more on the surface and, and almost more uh, vernacular, more ordinary. And is that a tension that you try to build or is that just, has that just become your sensibility or maybe I'm not even describing it accurately? Um. I think I became interested when I was at, uh, at, at Chelsea making these paintings of, of trying to add a human presence to the paintings because I mean I was making paintings um, primarily without the paintings of buildings without any figures mm -hmm. and um, to begin with <coughs> I mean I was looking at a lot of those Whistler paintings he made at the Thames where he often had just like a small figure and he emphatically said that the figures had no there was no narrative really mm -hmm. the figures were just a figure or the figures were there just to kind of but I don't really believe Believe that ultimately, because I think that it's 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 um, because by doing that, by by doing that act, you're actually creating, um, you're setting the scene for for the viewer, really, mm -hmm. and for yourself. For a story that they will tell themselves. Yeah, or, or just yeah. or yeah, an and and also creates an entrance, like I can open into the painting, and so I think I was trying to do that as well, really, something like that, really, um, where where the the, the 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 kind of figure acts as a kind of cipher to draw the um, to draw you know the viewer into the painting, really. But do you see yourself as a romantic? Do you see these as having a... I think you have to be pretty romantic to do what I do. <laughs> you think so, yeah. yeah. To, be a, lot of ways to be a do. painter or to paint to succumb, these? To succumb to it. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you thought about it too much, you wouldn't, you'd stop. <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, I promise not to ask another question about romanticism. <laughs> I don't want your dealer to get angry at me. Uh, <laughs> Did, I mean, one of the things that is, people have talked about painting consistently in the last couple of decades is, you know, first of all, it's always dead, but it turns out it wasn't. But, um, but more importantly, that, that it's harder to be, in a sense, a sincere painter. That, you know, if we look back at certain moments in history, we always think there's a kind of sincerity to the brushstroke or a sincerity and a commitment to the image and those kinds of things. And that's been harder and harder to maintain as a position. So it was, in a sense, Often, I think people talked about it being replaced by a sense of irony, and there was a, an ironic sense about the paintings, about painting in general, maybe. And I just wonder how you feel about that, because it doesn't seem to me that irony is exactly the way that one would describe what you do, and yet there no. is a distancing that is there. I mean, I think there's an element of irony. I mean, there has to be. Um, but I think that, um, and I think that, but I think it's also difficult to make to consistently make ironic paintings because I think then you def then you, you no longer are in a way. Mm. I'm thinking of of say some artists who deal with or in the business of making ironic paintings or p paintings that kind of challenge painting. I mean, 
after you do that for a number of, of years, you're actually a romantic painter. <laughs> <laughs> even even the Michael Krebers of this world, uh -huh. in a way. Um, I don't know. It's, um, what, do, what do you think about this whole, you know, the, you, I read all the stuff about you and you're associated now with all these painters that have emerged recently and they, you know, they kind of different writers lump them together, you know, Neo Rush and you and Luke Toymans and, you know, whatever. Do you feel any identification with a movement or with a group of people doing that, that sort of thing? Do you feel your impulses for doing what you do have anything in common with, with other people like that? Or um, I feel fortunate that I was um, of the generation that I am, really, and that I, 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 I started exhibiting at a time when there was this kind of reinterest, started this reinterest in painting. Mm -hmm. And I was very fortunate to exhibit in, um, with you know, like, uh, people like Luke Toymans mm -hmm. early on in London. And I got, to, <coughs> you know, I got to, to meet him and I invited him to come and t to talk at Chelsea, actually. And John Curran, when he did his first exhibition in London, I invited him to come and talk at the Royal College where I was teaching. And um, I don't know, it was a very exciting time. I thought what John Curran was doing early on was, was and, and Torrance was very, very interesting. And um, because it was, you've got to remember, it was a time when people just were so kind of, on, in the main art world was so against looking at painting, especially painting that had any representation in it, really. And so in a way, even though you may, you know, just as you naturally do, you're kind of critical of your, 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 your contemporaries, um, you're also kind of quite excited by this, this kind of, seeing what they're doing. I mean, I think that people kind of were, were really, really... It was a great thing when an exhibition by one of these artists arrived in London, really. We, we've, you know, that's why I thought it was very important to bring them into the, uh, the colleges. Mm -hmm. And um, they had huge... <coughs> they've had huge impact for good and for bad. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, 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 it's hard to tell because it's kind of... It, it's, it's still quite present, really. I mean, mm -hmm. It's probably... I mean, now I think, I say to my students in, in Germany, it's now it's actually a really difficult time to be a painter because painting is so accepted. People, people, people want painting, people want... There's bound to be a backlash, and there's a, there's a, kind, of, there's a kind of dirge of painting, and there's a lot of bad um, painting that mimics other paintings around, but it's just, that's natural as well, really. Yeah. But I think if you, if, you know, there, are, there, have been some interest, there have been some interesting painters in the last... Um, five, Ten years, no doubt. And who do, who do you look at? I mean, uh, not as influences, but as sort of counterpoints to what you do, or as as touchstones for what you're doing. That well, I mean, all those artists feel like you have a dialogue with in some way, whether it's an imaginary one yeah. or, or. I mean, real. all those artists are, are 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 interesting. I mean, there's a whole new wave of actually young um, women painters in England, mm -hmm. in a way, that have emerged in the last few years. Um, some you know what, a few have been uh, have, I've you know been involved with te teaching even you know mm -hmm. but um, some of them work in very different ways. Tom Apps, um, Julian Carnegie, um, Silka, mm -hmm. Artikanap. I mean, there's like a, there's a there's a number, and then there's um, I don't know. There's just there's there's there seems to be there seems to be there's, there definitely has been a wave. It may be maybe over now, but. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a tsunami, it's yeah. just a small one. Um, <laughs> do you want to talk maybe um, about, I mean, one thing, that I th well, there are two things to ask you about, but let's, let's just start with the drawings and the watercolors that are in the show. You, you, we were talking earlier and you said that actually none of these were made to be, in a sense, seen. They weren't made as works of art. They're, they're, they're sort of working papers or drafts or, or you know, they occupy a, um, a different kind of position uh, for you in terms of your process. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested, first of all, in hearing how you use them and how they come about and, w and where the imagery comes from and so on. And then secondly, how you now feel that they sort of are lifted up to the, you know, to be framed and put in museums and all that sort of thing. It mm -hmm. seems like there's two things going on there that are not necessarily contradictory, but I'd love to hear you talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was thinking about it and I was looking around and I wouldn't say none because I think there's probably about five or six that were made for exhibition, mm -hmm. like for an exhibition on a of work like on the, paper. The girl in the tree, for instance. That one, yes. Yeah. Those were made yeah. for an exhibition. Right. They were also made. At the, they were actually made um, primarily as a study for the paint the, for larger painting. Mm -hmm. And I would say that you know quite a lot of the stuff was made um, really um, made and just ended up on the kind of on the on the floor of the studio. But I, you know, I wouldn't throw stuff away. I, I mean, because I, I realized that um, you can't maybe create this kind of stuff. Um, Consciously, mm -hmm. when I, say, I mean, they were, they were made like 
some of the figures are made just to work out the size of the figure within within a within a, a larger painting. Um, some of them are u made just using the kind of the old the old turpentine that's in the in the pot that you clean the brushes with. Um, so they so it's in it's it's interesting when you see them exhibited um, for for various reasons. And 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 in some ways you could say, well, actually, maybe this is a pretentious thing to do to put up scraps on a wall. But you know, objectively, you have to think. I have to think. Well, actually, that's what I like looking at of others, other artists' right, work a lot. Right. Really, yeah. I mean, a lot of a lot of um, a lot of drawings that um, are sketches are sometimes the most fascinating things to see mm -hmm. because they're kind of less. Um, they're they're more directly from sort of the brain to the hand to the to the to the medium, the pa the paper, or the page, and they and a lot of these things would look probably if if if, if they were if you primed up a canvas and then made a painting the same way as you make a work on paper, they'd probably look quite, um, I don't know, I think that, that, that would also look quite pretentious in a way, because they'd be, they'd be so w willfully reduced, really. And then some of the things that happen on the floor, like that you fold a piece of paper, or you, you were talking about that one piece with the two figures in it where you'd cut the figures out and then you'd, you'd, you'd taken the, the two figures that were sort of thickly painted and pressed them back on another page, got another image of that, and so on. I mean, is, do you think that when you're in the studio working like that, that it's, in a sense, it's more playful and therefore there's no pressure, there's no, um, there's, there's a different kind of ambition for them? Um, because they, they do seem to differ from your paintings. Your paintings have a, have a finish to them. They feel like they're a statement, a full statement. The, the, yeah. Sometimes the, find the, the big drawings part. upstairs seem like they yeah. have lots of possibilities and they could go in different kinds of directions simultaneously. Sometimes I think the big paintings maybe are a bit, a bit stiff in a mm -hmm. way because it's a big painting. Um, but, uh, and I think it's, uh, maybe it's good to be able to find surprises within your own work, really. Like, I mean, there's, that, there's a one drawing which has got what, look, what looks like two sort of orange wigs. Mm -hmm. And I'd drawn one, it was like a, ha a hair piece. And then I'd folded the paper over and I'd drawn another one. And I'd use it when I was making the, a painting. And it wasn't until later that when I folded out, I saw both together. And it was quite surprising, really. And then I kind of added to it. So, I mean, it's, I mean, it's something that, um, I mean, that's, maybe it's good to find surprise within your own work. Mm -hmm. So you use that as the, sort of the area of the unconscious. And then once you've figured out what the image is and what you're feeling about that image is, then that's what you're trying to project onto the larger work. So these represent... Sometimes, yeah. I mean, it doesn't always... More or less, yeah. 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 Talk about that the one. I mean, the one the the the, 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 the the bat painting. Talk about the Batman painting. The bat. The Batman painting. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was um, an artist in Trinidad um, gave me this beautiful little um, papier-mâché sculpture made of a, a man dressed dressed as a bat, which is um, which is a, is one of the kind of traditional carnival characters, and it's actually made very much in the same way as um, maybe a costume would be made. It's it's it like a like quite uh, quite um, th throwaway the way you, the, the use of material, but very elegant as well. And I just saw it, well, I had it in my studio, and it's only a small thing. And one night there was I could see the sh there was a shadow of being cast against the wall, so I just traced it um, with the paint I had in the in the pot, and that's how that came about really. But then but that's actually that's like a, so that's a kind of drawing of someone else's work. <laughs> right. But then it's but it was on a, the back of a chair, and then when you paint the chair. It looks like a landscape, and then it starts to look monumental, and then it so the scale changes. The scale entirely. changes, yeah. I mean, it looks and then, and then what it, what do you do with that kind of information? And, I mean, it's like well, that's, a, that's at first it just vaguely interests you, or you've got some kind of you know. Well, I want to do a painting. Hold on, and it has some hold on you. But then, what do you do? What is the next step? Yeah. Well, I've got an idea to do a painting of um, a kind of bat in a sort of city landscape, like overlooking a city. But I don't want it to look like Batman. Right. Right. So you. So you've got a problem. <laughs> I'm planning. It's in the pl planning stage. Yeah. Okay. Um, I wanted to talk about, you know, in the 19th century, obviously, there's a certain moment at which photography affects painting in, you know, all kinds of complicated ways. But, you know, the, the main, more obvious one is that the notion of verisimilitude moves from, the you know, from doing it uh, by hand to the mechanical and that sort of thing. Now, in a, you know, in a world where there's a plethora of images, there's a kind of a tsunami of images and visual information and so on. I wondered how you 
view the role of painting in general, but yours obviously in particular, in relation to all of that? I mean, is it a, do you see it as having um, a kind of, does it, does it have a, what is its reason in a sense in relation to all that information that's passing so quickly and, and so, in a sense, so promiscuously through the culture? How does, how, what is the role of painting? Do you, do you see it as having a specific role? Do you think of it in that way? I mean, is it a kind of ecology to just do one painting at a time in a, in I think a world it's, uh, like I mean, that? I still think it's, I mean, I still think it's, you know, if there's any value in something being unique, I think it's still unique. Mm -hmm. It's still a mark, and it's still a kind of, um, it's still a dirty mark. <laughs> it's, still a, it's, still a, it's still something that doesn't come out of a machine, really. So it has It's a still something that, it's still something you can't, um, I don't know, like you see, you know, you, you, it, it, has a, it has a kind of organic quality in the way that other things don't have in life, really. So it, um, has a, it still has the human, as it were, as opposed to... I suppose, yeah. <coughs> still has that kind of... Uh, for me, it's got that magic. I mean, whether, I be, whether it's looking at a, a, an older painting or, or mm -hmm. even some contemporary paintings. It's got that sort of... I know that you can make, you c you can make a photograph, um, you can print something out of a computer, you can make a... F there's things you can do with film that you can't do with paint, but there's things you can do with paint you can't do with film. Mm -hmm. And it's just one of those things. It's a, it's a kind of nuance within things. Um, it's a kind of... <laughs> I suppose for painters it's a type of addiction, really, mm -hmm. to, to um, a, a, a substance and a, and a, and a, a material and a, way of, and a way of working. And do you see it as a way of... of um doing something in the culture that can't be done any other way? I mean, does it slow culture down, for instance? Does it slow time down? Does it I like the fact that it actually occupies quite a small place within culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> doesn't have to be, um, doesn't have to be a big deal, really. Doesn't have to be, um, um, doesn't have to sell 300,000 copies in the first day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> doesn't, have to, doesn't have the pressures of, of um, you know, having to work with a crew. Right, right. <laughs> It's, a, it's not a collaborative art. But maybe this is a good time to ask a question about, you know, because you raised this kind of issue of 300,000 copies. I mean, you've been very successful recently, not just recently, actually for quite a while. I mean, a Turner Prize, um, um, you know, uh, you were up for the Turner Prize. You were in the, the recent Triennale. We saw your work at the Tate Gallery a few weeks ago. You know the the Whitney Biennale, the Carnegie International, et cetera, et cetera. What is that kind of embrace by the world due to due to you? I mean, does that put a different pressure on you in the studio? How do you deal with? I mean, success is sort of an interesting thing to deal with. Failure is always less interesting, yeah. I always think. But <coughs> success is an interesting thing to deal with. You know, um, I don't how, know. how are you dealing with it? What do you what do you think about it? Does it affect your practice in any way? Does it make it more Difficult? Does it put a pressure on you? Because um, you've got both. A, you've got a critical success, which is wonderful. But you also, I assume, there's some fiscal rewards as well. So it's, you know, it's a, it, it's mm. a, it's a good state to be in, I suspect. But I also know from knowing a lot of artists that it's also comes with its, you know, in, uh, the other side. No, I think there was a lot of. Quickly. I think there was. I mean, I think I'm quite. Um, I don't know. I'm quite. Um, I find it quite. Dif I quite always find it quite difficult um, making s stuff. I mean, I do enjoy it, but I find it quite difficult. So I, I, I naturally can't really produce a lot. Really, mm -hmm. that's just. That's just. I have a kind of limit in a way. I don't know why that is. But even when I was at um, college, <coughs> I was making approximately the same amount of work as I am making now. Um, I'm making a bit less now, even. Um, I don't know what it is. It seems to be. I can make about ten paintings in a year, big mm. paintings. But I mean, I. I if I was a different type of person, if I was, if I was like a kind of Leipzig artist, <laughs> I'd start at 8 in the morning and I'd finish at 5 in the afternoon and I'd, I'd have worked very, very hard. I'd have made... Right. But I can't really work like and that. And then you'd really. be drunk for two days afterwards, <laughs> right? Um, I don't know. I just, I just have... I think in a way you've got to put your blinkers on, really, and just mm -hmm. kind of just get on with the way... I haven't tried to make a professional studio. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that would make my life probably easier. I mean, I wouldn't, I've, got an assist, I've never had an assistant or anything like that. So you stretch your own canvases, you do all that sort of thing? I don't stretch my own canvases. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't no. have an assistant? No, 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 yeah, but I don't really have that kind of... I don't have my... I mean, a lot of artists, even painters, have set up their, their studio a bit like an office. And it's not an office, but they set up like a workshop where they have other people working 
helping them and in a way that probably helps those those individuals go about their their daily work but I, I, I prefer to kind of I'd rather be there on my own really if I want to listen, listen to music I just listen to music I don't mm -hmm. want someone else hanging around waiting for a task you'd feel obligated to yeah. them yeah um, pressure um, I don't know I mean, it's, it's up to, it's always I mean it's always up to you in the end I mean you, you don't have to accept things um, but, it's, and it, but it's very difficult to turn some of these things down mm -hmm. um, I don't know it's hard it's hard it's it's uh, Try not to think about it too much. Sounds, that sounds maybe that sounds a bit um, churlish, but um, try and just get on with things. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the the at the Whitney? It's there's a whole different. I mean, you have this uh, film club in in Trinidad, right? This, Port of Spain. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that a little bit and why that's of interest to other people as well? I mean, how that started, what that is, and and how it's operating for you is, is it seems like almost a shadow practice or a, another kind of practice that allows you maybe some of the freedom away from some of these pressures. Well, I mean, it's interesting, you know, you, you have a city like Toronto and you've got this, I mean, I've, been, I've never been to this Cinematheque, but it's an amazing Cinematheque here. I mean, I've been reading, just, I've just been reading the programs. It's just, ex, ex, you know, it's kind of extraordinary what goes on here. And then you've got a kind of a legacy of that in this city. You have, uh, I mean, when I was just uh, a teenager, we used to go to like the, the 99 cent Roxy and the, yep. the New Yorker cinema, and there was one on college. And th there's always been these, these venues where people would, where you could go and see alternative um, film. Bands often played in those places as well um, when I was a teenager. Um, in London, the same. When I moved to London, I, 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 I remember I made a list, when I was on my foundation course, I made a list of all of the films I wanted to, to see. Or not all, but a lot. And I, it was amazing how quickly I could see them, because they were all being shown on a regular basis in these repertory cinemas. Um, and when I moved to Port of Spain um, four years ago, three, three and a half years ago, um, there's, there's a, it's a big city, it's a city of 800,000 people, and there's a real, there is a cinema culture there, but there's nothing other than Hollywood and the occasional Bollywood film mm -hmm. on offer, really. And um, shortly after I arrived, they had a, a European film festival, which they have every year, which is organized by the embassies. And it's quite, it's quite modest, and they show not that, you know, they're, they're okay films, but nothing great. And I went to a number of these screenings, and I noticed a lot of the same individuals going to these screenings. And um, then shortly after that, they had a Caribbean film festival. And again, I started seeing these, these, these people, and I wondered where they went otherwise. <laughs> and um, <coughs> I had this, um, the studio I have, um, I basically pay nothing for. I got it through the, um, I, I got it through, I get it through the, um, um, the estate where this an art center, and it was a, it was a kind of, it was a very, very kind of, um, uh, kind of derelict big space, it's about 4,000 square feet. And um, I'd started trying to work in there, it was too big really for me. So I had this big open space which I fixed up, and I had a projector and um, started thinking about maybe screening some films. And they showed a film at the um, the film festival, which is a documentary about the making of um, The Harder They Come, mm -hmm. which is one of the most famous right. Caribbean movies, as you probably know. Um, and a lot of people I talked to hadn't actually seen the real film, the, f the film, because it was released in '73. I don't think it had ever, ever been shown on TV, it had never been shown in the cinema subsequently, so a whole generation of people hadn't seen it. So that was the film we screened first to a kind of invited audience. And I chose um, from my partner to do this film club, was um, a, a, a younger artist in Trinidad um, who um, is, is a great, not Che Lovelace, Che Lovelace, yeah, he's, a, yeah. a, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great enthusiast and also um, knows lots of people. <laughs> and I thought, um, you know, it's a good person to, to do. To, you need someone who's an enthusiast because it was going to be a, a, a. The idea was it was going to be a free club, mm -hmm. a free, a free place. People. So yeah, every week you need someone who's going to make that kind of commitment because it takes an effort. Um, and also, he had a huge, huge, huge um, range of contacts, and was not cliquey like a, like a lot of people are. <laughs> so he seemed to be a very good person and very interested in 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 film as well. So um, that's how it started, really. And, and what, it, what does it feel like to you for, for it to be taken up by the art world as a well? This is what this was, I was. I was quite reluctant because because um, to begin with it was just a, it, it was well, it still is just a film club. But um, I started um, painting um, posters for it, which I just I would pin up 
Mm -hmm. I mean, not every night. I the first one came about just by absolute um, chance. I had a, a drawing which I had abandoned, which was um, a drawing of... Um, it, it couldn't have been in this show? It's not in this show, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's not. It's, uh, and it was... It, it, the film we were showing was uh, Black Orpheus, mm -hmm. the, 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 uh, the French-Brazilian yeah. carnival yeah. film. And it was a figure um, of a guy in a, in a, in a, in a boat, and it's a reflection. And um, it just kind of, I just sort of thought, oh, Orpheus, you know, Cocteau's Orpheus, reflection, this entering into this other world. So I just wrote on it, Black Orpheus tonight, and pinned it up in the hallway. And so that was the first poster. Then I thought, well, maybe I'll make a poster for, for each week. And then, you know, after a while, there was like 70 posters. Right. And then um, people, you know, I remember um, I was just about to do a show in, um, in, in, in Munich, and I'd been wor working, I'd been in Trinidad for two years, and I'd made all the paintings, and I was showing the paintings to um, the, cu the curator of the show who'd come down to Trinidad, and, and they said, oh, what are those? And I said, oh, no, those are just film, the film posters. And they were looking at these, and so they thought, well, these actually look really, these are very, in they're very interesting. And I hadn't really thought of them outside of the context of what they, mm -hmm. they were originally done for. And, um, and then, um, I don't know, I think it's when people, and also people visited the film club from abroad, and sometimes it takes that, it takes someone from coming outside to, to see something, to, to make you think of it in a different way. Right. And I thought, well, you know, what's the point in taking something that exists somewhere else? But then I realized, well, maybe it is kind of a unique th thing in a way. I mean, it's a kind of casual way of looking at films. And it was, it was, you know, it was purposely called club, not because it was exclusive, but because it had the feeling of a club, mm -hmm. like, a, like a kind of a club rather than a, than, um, a cinematheque. And um, I was nervous about taking it ab abroad. And um, the, the first, the people who, the people who um, were first influenced, interested was the, the, the Ludwig Museum in Cologne. And they were just about to reopen their, their cinema. It had been closed for a number of years. And um, the director of the museum suggested that we have the posters in a, in a gallery and then do a series of films in the, in the cinema. And I thought, well, I don't want these to be exhibited like paintings. I want, mm -hmm. them to be, I want them to be posters, like foyer posters, like you see, uh, like you see film posters. So I said I'd do it if we could actually create a corridor that led from the museum to the cinema mm -hmm. to make a kind of connection between the, the art and the museums to the, you know, the art and the cinema. <laughs> and um, we're, I was very fortunate because the, the, there was a woman who was the curator of film at the Ludwig who was an unbelievable enthusiast and, and really had an incredible knowledge of film. And she helped us. Together we put this. The, we chose a program of films, and um, and so it, it, it seemed it, it seemed to fit. It seemed to it seemed to be that seemed to justify it in a way to, to move as a as a yeah. as a thing. And then it went to, to to Zurich. It was quite interesting the way we exhibited there because um, I went to look at the galleries, and again they were going to have the posters in a gallery, and they were going to have a small screening room at the back. And there was an exhibition on when I went to look at the galleries, and. Uh, it's an artist, I can't remember who, what her name was now, but she'd made this kind of big box made out of MDF in the middle of the galleries, and it had this huge kind of faux sort of Egyptian, modernist Egyptian, Egyptian facade, which you walk through. And then she was showing her films in five different rooms, and they all had DVD projectors. And, and the, 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 the woman, who, the curator from the museum said, oh, we're tearing this down, and you're going to have this room here. And I said, you can't tear this down. This is <laughs> you've got five cinemas here already. I said, well, let's take the facades off and then just leave it as a kind of box. So we took the f when we took the facades off and just kept this box, and it looked unrecognizable from when as to her sculpture. <laughs> so we kind of exhibited the films um, in her sculpture, and uh, we painted the wall, the interior corridors, this kind of very vivid uh, green color, which is kind of reminiscent of I don't know, maybe like a bar you might see in in Trinidad, mm -hmm. and then we put the posters floor to ceiling. And then in the five different rooms, we had different film screening. They were all, I mean, they weren't just films from the region, but they were like TV shows as well and interviews with Clipsonians. And mm -hmm. So it was a kind of box, all contained in a box. And that was quite, that was quite nice. <laughs> when you talk about color, it interests me, and I'm sure it interests other people, that obviously you moved to Trinidad, it seems like you're your chroma, your key, changed in some way. Like, and people have talked about this that it's, you know, more tropical, and yet the the works, you know, still have some of this sense of 
foreboding or dread or there's some kind of weight to, to a lot of the paintings. So it, instead of it being that idea of a carnival and uh, some kind of celebratory color, the color works ag almost against some of the content a bit. I'm mean, thinking in the show upstairs, there's a particular painting of a, it's snow, but it's painted in red. So it's red snow, I guess, you know, uh, and it's, so it's got this kind of, it's like tropical snow or something. And, and I just wondered, is that, has that liberated you in some way to think about the color working out of Trinidad? And yet, I mean, has it given you more of a vocabulary as a painter in a way? Mm. I mean, I, like, I, I quite like the idea of um, that, you know, as an artist, you kind of evolve towards a type of abstraction <laughs> rather than just become a kind of abstractionist. And I'm hoping that maybe that that's what's starting to happen in a way. I think that, you know, what you see there is... is, is, is um, is so vivid, really, mm -hmm. and you see kind of extraordinary things, you know, from our eyes on a daily basis. But you have to, you know, you have to realize that they're kind of ordinary things from a, a Trinidadian's point of view. Um, so you don't want to kind of, you, you don't really want to kind of get over. You don't want to exoticize it or exoticize. There's so much. In a way, there's so much information. Mm -hmm. um, it made me think about, you know, people always say, "Oh, you're doing a, you're doing a kind of Gauguin type thing," and so I was thinking about Gauguin. I think about the way he interpreted what he was seeing, really, you know, purely from, I'm thinking more of a, from a, forget the subject, formal, formally. Um, and in a way, you have to kind of, you have to sort of um, enter into kind of a world of, like into a way of abstracting things, because otherwise you just get sort of, you get sort of overcome by what you're seeing, really. It's so, it's so potent um, to our eyes. Mm -hmm. um, but, but yet it has added a, a vividness to what you do, don't you think? I mean, it, you I know, think so. if, it's more if your earlier work in some way, you know, it had almost like a lace to it. It had a kind of a feeling of a something in front of something else and so on, but it was all very soft and subtle. Now it seems like it has a, a vividness to that yeah. particular I mean, I kind of... Uh, you know, you're always kind of, well, I'm always trying to react against um, things that I think may be coming a kind of mannerism in my own work. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you describe these kind of lacy looking through and... Uh, I just thought I don't want to be the person who does the lacy paintings. <laughs> <laughs> no, the lacy, you know, the paintings where you're always kind of looking through and people can, that in a way. Yeah. So then I, I actually made paintings of my own that reacted against those mm -hmm. very kind of upfront, almost quite sort of crude realist type things. Yeah. Well, I so mean, ski jumpers and stuff like right. that. And maybe in a way this is like a, um, another kind of reaction against that. But um, I mean, it's an opportunity to try and. Um, to use color in a different way than, than yeah. you would do. I mean, I mean I, I'm always astounded when I go to, um, when I travel to Germany, for instance, from Trinidad, and you get off the plane and you just look at it, it's just like, it's just like you've got cataracts on your eyes. <laughs> everything's so, everything's so gray. Right, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. gray, yeah. and it's just, yeah. I mean, London as well, it's just so, just, well, I mean, London just has an eight-foot ceiling, they just don't, you know, that's where the sky yeah. starts. I mean, yeah. at least here, when you come here in the winter, it's like, uh, I mean, this last week anyway, it's been so crisp, mm -hmm. it's been very clear and sharp. So different to the kind of that sort of northern that European light, which is at th this time of year is just, as I say, it's just this kind of mushroom soup of. Um, so when you, and then you know, in Trinidad is is kind of the opposite. It's it's kind of sharp and yet at times also hazy, but very 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 intense color wise. One of the things I, re I remember, you, and this relates to the show that's upstairs in particular. You've talked about drawing, and one of the things you said. And in some ways, you, you sound like you're a self-taught artist, you know, because the way you describe learning how to draw or something, it sounds like a self-taught person, which is what I was trying to get at with the educational part, I guess. But, but you said that all forms of drawing are legitimate and, and that you just try to get something down as quickly as possible and then use it in some kind of way. So it has a kind of casualness, the way you talk about it. And yet, when you're upstairs looking at those drawings, you know, some of them have a, a, the bravura of, you know, some, of some great artists and other people have associated you with great artists and said, this is like X and this is like so-and-so and so-and-so. Is, is one of the dangers, like one of the resistances that you might impose upon yourself becoming that you are, you know, you're becoming an excellent draftsperson. I mean, you, I mean, there's some drawings up there that are, you know, absolutely fantastic, wonderful, it's one that looks like a Joseph Boys, one that, you know, you can make all these kind of relationships. So what started as maybe something where 
you were teaching yourself or wanting to teach yourself or finding a way of representing now has all of the qualities that probably at some level you reject in your mind or that you're not quite certain of or not quite comfortable with. Is that a, is that a fair thing to say? I mean, are you afraid yeah. of becoming too becoming good? Becoming good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I think that, no, I think it's a good point, actually. And I mean, I, I'm... Um, I, think I, I think it's something you have to, you have to not believe... You can't, believe, you can't start to believe in, in, in yourself. I, mean, I had this conversation with an artist recently about gesture, the gestural. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and saying, have you ever seen a good... You know, how much good gestural art have you seen, really? Because like, mm -hmm. it's this, you know, don't, don't get... Don't believe this kind of flick of the wrist type thing, you know. And it's it's. Um, I mean, uh, most of my things are traced anyway. <laughs> I well, trace. They, well, I they trace. They might start by being traced, but then you. Yeah, but it's work but it's. Them, but so. it's uh, I mean, I think I probably can. I can paint better than I can draw. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can use. I, I. 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 But drawing isn't really my kind of like good drawing isn't really my forte. And mm -hmm. but I think that's also one of my fortes. <laughs> <laughs> I think if, because I think that um, I've seen a, I've seen so many artists. I've known so many artists who are kind of completely, um, in a way, kind of uh, stuck by their own ability to draw mm -hmm. or paint in some cases. Yeah, right? um, because it's it's a I, I actually think it's it's a real. I mean, of all the great artists, it does, it does I mean, so many of them could draw so well. But I mean, how many? But so many are less interesting than others because maybe because they draw so well. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's only like when you get to that kind of, that, I don't know, something like a, uh, I don't know, like a, a Chardin or something like that, that type of drawing is become so, so good that it's, it's, but sometimes it's, sometimes good drawing isn't, isn't such a great thing. Mm -hmm. because Especially for contemporary, I don't know, it's hard, it's hard to describe. It's a kind of, it's like, what's good, it's good, you know, it's just a new, it's this kind of good, bad thing. Yeah, but but you want somebody in terms of your imagery, obviously, to you know, to a viewer to have some involvement in that image. So there has to be some kind of persuasive element, and that persuasive element is the way in which it's painted or drawn or presented or something. There has to be something persuasive there, in, in terms of its materiality, right? And it seems to me that you know, like we're looking at that one drawing of the two figures that had then been cut out and stenciled and redone and everything, and and the the way in which the papers absorbed the turpentine that you were talking about gave it, gave it a halo and then another kind of halo and so suddenly these incidents become, these accidents really become of complete interest to a viewer because it, it's, it's, it's folded the painting or the, the this image is what, out. This is what painters it. get criticized though for sort of fetishizing, well, fetishizing all those... Probably curators, <laughs> probably curators do too but, but, it, but, then, but then how do you take that information, do you then I mean, the question, I guess, is do you then self-consciously use that kind of information that's come to you accidentally in a larger painting or in the next work, or do you find a way of just resisting that and hoping that those accidents are, you know, will continue to happen somehow, that you'll create the conditions okay. for those accidents? Well, there's one drawing down there. So I know that sounds like a very obtuse way of thinking about it, but uh, it, it's very specific, I think, to yeah. the way you work. Again, I think you've got to be careful not to kind of believe in in the kind of the magic, you know, you know, because that's that's that can that can really um, that can become quite prop that can become problematic because then it just becomes it bec the thing becomes like some kind of ephemera in a way, really. Um, there's a drawing down there of like a couple. Um, well, it's just on a white piece of paper. It's about like this, and it's just done like in very very thin pink um, kind of oily paint. Mm -hmm. And it's like a couple. I mean, they were, in reality, they were just looks like something's maybe some sort of sexual acts going on. But in fact, they were probably just sitting, talking to each other. But the two, f by by painting the two figures um, as one, it becomes like something else in a way. Um, it's uh, you know, it's kind of dribbling too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I don't want. I don't know. I think if you if you if you then if I said, oh, this is what I want to make in a and bigger then painting, let, then yeah. it would become such a cliche. Really. Yeah, it's yeah. even a cliche to talk about it. Really, right. but it's like okay. I'm going I'm to ask you one more question and then open it to the to the audience. The question is that there's a lot of these individual figures. Sometimes, often, I think, are children or younger people for sure. And they, they you know, like the girl in the tree in particular, and there's some what? other ones. 
Well, no, there's lots actually. If you look through more carefully, I, I think there's actually more than few, you yeah. think. Okay. What? Maybe a few. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a few. Um, and but it's a figure that's extremely vulnerable. And I just wondered if you had thought about that. It seems like a figure that reoccurs. This kind of younger figure alone somewhere out there. It's a kind of um, it's it's yeah. a it's a trope of some sort, and it seems to be in your in your work maybe more often than you think, maybe more often than I think. Hmm. We thought about that. Okay. I'm g I, I g okay. <laughs> no, but I no. I but in we, in we go back and count them. <laughs> no, but it, it's not. You're not conscious of it. Um, not really. I mean, I I do think about um, childhood because I have children. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot about adolescence because <laughs> I'm adolescent. No, but it's uh, it's uh, it's, uh, it's a funny another world. Okay. But I think that the the, um, the the one of the girl in the tree, um, the, the the source for that painting is quite an odd photograph that one of my daughters took of one of my other daughters, and she was standing in a bush, up in Hampstead Heath, and she was wearing, <coughs> for some reason, she was wearing like white, all white, and it was probably very overexposed. So she she looked like a kind of, almost like one of those pictures you see of sort of like fake fairy pictures, yeah. or or yeah. Um, like a. Or, or, the ghost, the ghost Alice photograph. Alice in Wonderland, right. the ones, those, that, that kind of ghost type photograph. And I mean, she looked like a child from another era in this picture, really. Um, but when I made the painting, I, I, I thought, you know, I'm very, quite conscious I didn't want to make a kind of sentimental painting of a child, really. And also I didn't want to make, make a painting that was like so morbid it was about sort of the death of a child or, you know, or something, or that kind of thing. And I didn't want to make it as a portrait of my own daughter, really. It was just, it was just this, 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 this entity that, uh, that I found in this photograph, really. And uh, in the actual painting, you don't see it so much in... Maybe you do, maybe you do a bit in the drawing, but the actual painting is it's almost like they're kind of, they're kind of halfway in between space and, 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 and reality. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know. Yeah. I wasn't entirely wrong. Um, <laughs> I think at this point I would like to thank Peter and Bruce so much. Uh, I think. I don't know about you, but I really enjoy this conversation format where you know you get bits of information and there's still gaps, and it's very much like looking at the exhibition. You know, still lots for you to do yourself. By the way, this talk. This conversation will be podcast from our website, so if anybody missed it or you want to listen to it again, <laughs> there it will be. Next week, uh, next Thursday, we have Architecture spe Spectacle, a panel discussion with, moderated by John Bentley Mays with Lisa Rochon, Christian Giroux, Daniel Young, and Michael Awad. So please come back for that. And then in April, we have some uh, David Milne programming. Thank you. <laughs>